Welcome to Beauty as a Birthright, a podcast where we decode the evolving concept of beauty from a multidimensional lens. In this space, we embark on a journey with engaging guests from all walks of life to figure out if beauty is a birthright, then what's our legacy? So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, our guest is Angie Cho, who is a New York-based architect who combines her eye for observing interconnectedness and interdependence of the spaces through her mastery of the art of feng shui. She is the founder of Holistic Spaces, which shares the ancient traditional practices of feng shui through its assortment of crystals, home accents, and elixirs, and also shares her knowledge through Holistic Spaces podcast and Mindful Design School. Hi, Angie. Hi, Paige. Hi, Tamsin. Hi, welcome. We're so excited to have you today. And um, a lot of people know you from Holistic Spaces and as a feng shui designer and an architect and from Mindful Design School. Um, But we're excited to get to know you more on a personal level and um, get to know who is this person behind all of this work. Yeah, it's it's kind of refreshing. It's nice because sometimes I feel like people want they, they want to know like what to do they want advice they want I they want to get information from me and then um, not a lot of people are curious about me so it's nice to be able to talk a little bit about my personal stuff too so thanks for asking yay so we like to um kick off our podcast asking our guests um you know Paige and I started this show because we realized that beauty is just this elusive concept that's constantly changing and evolving, um, even through society, but through personally. And so even our perception of beauty is constantly changing and evolving. So we're curious to know at this moment right now, what is the most beautiful thing about you and what makes you feel beautiful? Well, you know, I was, I just had lunch with one of my mentors yesterday and I'm starting to get gray and white hairs and I don't think I've seen her for a few months. Mm-hmm. And, um, she was remarking about how I have these little gray hairs that are coming in right around my, what is it, like the sideburn area, you know, like Asian women have to get sideburns more than I think, I don't know. Anyway, um, side these sideburn things and and then I noticed they're doing these like it's doing this like white you can't really see it on zoom but like a white little ooh like it's framing framing your face almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I don't know if it's beautiful but I was just told that that was a beautiful new feature to my face that um uh I was surprised at but actually someone else remarked on it too so getting old getting gray and having that be um, a thing of beauty is really wonderful. I love that. It's like, I feel like when you, I haven't seen a lot of people with gray hair, like on the sides. And so like the image I get is like, I don't know, like those old sages, like. Yeah, floating. Know, yeah, yeah. Very it feels like they're underwater, but they're actually just in the air on clouds. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm my white hair is like growing from here. Like it grows from here. And I'm just like, Whoa, if it like grows out like that, it'll look really cool. It'll look like storm for Marvel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wish I would get, I would love to get one of those too, but my hairstylist says that my white, my white hair is growing in really nicely. And I don't know. I think it's, I'm totally okay with going gray. 
Yeah, that's the yeah. Late, that was like the latest trend during the pandemic. Like women weren't going to the hair salon as often. And then I, I was seeing like on Instagram, like so many women just going gray and like, and then like a few, like 10 years ago, that was like the biggest thing with younger women, like dying yes. gray. Yeah, they're going for silver, gray. I felt like it was really popular too in the Asian population. Mm. I don't know if it was inspired by manga or cosplay, but a lot of young women were going like white and gray and silver. Mm, and like that pink and like the mm-hmm. really black pale colors. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love that your teacher found like pointed that out to you. Was this your, yeah. Was this your feng shui teacher? Um, actually, no. One of my flower teachers who's like a meditation mentor. Mm-hmm. I have many teachers. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think we'll all, all of us are perpetual students, right? And we're constantly learning, taking classes, seeking mentors. Um, so I totally understand what it's like to have multiple people that you call your teacher and you look up to. Mm-hmm. So Angie, Feng, speaking of beauty and currently how you feel beautiful, Feng Shui, of course, is a lot about beauty. And we're curious how it's impacted the way you see beauty in yourself as well as in the world. You know, I, you sent me this question and I, and I think um, I wasn't sure how, if I agreed with feng shui as um, being connected to beauty, but I think that a lot of people do think that because the, the general definition or impression of what feng shui is, is about, is t- typically connected to interior decorating right so how does your home look when in reality feng shui is much more about the energetics of the space rather than what it looks like and in fact many many feng shui consultants they might have kind of bad taste (laughs) they're not and some of them like have no skill in making things look beautiful But that said, I have learned a lot about beauty. I think one of the most important things I learned um, was when I learned about the five elements and I learned that um, I learned that I embody a lot of metal element. Uh, You know, metal element gets a bad rap sometimes because, you know, like you can be like an ax and you can um, be very efficient and organized but it's also the other, the flip side to metal, the way that we look at it in feng shui is to really be a lover of beauty mm-hmm. and to really see beauty in the world. And then that in turn, that also allowed me to be able to embrace those parts of me that I thought were very harsh as beautiful, like the qualities of metal that I um, have, instead of looking at them as negative, looking at them as beautiful beautiful characteristics or uh personality tendencies that I have Mm, that's really interesting like maybe because I'm a metal person too I have a lot of metal in me and so I saw feng shui as like this practice of beauty and then I kind of see architecture in that way too like but then so I'm curious okay before I butt in (laughs) I'm curious to know then how do you define beauty I don't know how I define beauty. Let me, let's, 
let's go back to that in a bit. I think it's really interesting yeah. because it always changes. Like I remember how I thought, thought what I thought was beautiful when I was younger, um, you know, through the different practices that I cultivate now, there are so many um, different ways to look at beauty. I think, I guess it would be something like seeing, being able to see the imperfection in something because mm. when like, for instance, when you see like computer, like, so I have to like, I look at photos a lot. And when you see computer generated images of homes, they, I mean, I can pick them out really easily because they're mm. too perfect. They're too perfect and there's uh, it's very stylized, but the average person I don't think can pick it up because yeah. many people think those are real photographs, but um, there's just something lost. And so there's a beauty in seeing imperfection or like I'm looking at a piece of pottery I made and I use like a little, uh, I use some copper wash on it and I didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but there's this one area where extra like there was extra wash that pooled and it just created this little like darker dot that is just so beautiful or you know seeing how real flowers could be arranged um and see seeing the imperfection of like how the sun may have hit this branch a little bit more than on this side rather than having a perfectly symmetrical fake flower it doesn't it doesn't have any beauty so i think when something looks real, when there's imperfections in it, and it ha and it shows some kind of time, mm -hmm. and there, that's what's beautiful, I think. Mm -hmm. So, like from a traditional Chinese or East Asian medicine lens, what I'm hearing is things that are alive and emanate chi. And even when we first asked about feng shui and beauty, the way that you responded was talking more about kind of the vibration or basically chi that designing a home or a space gives not necessarily this aesthetic like wow this is such a pretty layout it's more wow I feel really in harmony I feel really in line and then what comes from that is a sort of beauty that is felt almost more than it might be seen at face value so that's kind of like what I'm hearing and just now when you were talking more about it what I feel like you're saying, or what I hear as a TCM practitioner. Mm, yeah, actually, I study Shambhala at Shambhala, <laughs> and they have something called um, Yun, and it's it's um, this embodiment of Chi. So you and you don't have, you can't really describe it, but there's like a luminosity that is yes, it's alive, just like like when I describe to my students Chi. It's like when you're alive, you have a sparkle in your eye when you're when you you're not you're no longer alive that there's it's there's dead it's dead there's no sparkle there so there's there's something about inherent some things that like are created with love like objects that are created with a lot of love and care like clients mm -hmm. always pick out the most expensive thing because it's obvious that there has been much more care and chi and luminosity and the specialness that's put into the object that mass manufactured things don't don't embody mm -hmm. wow my brain is exploding right now it's like jumping to thoughts that page you went directly to being a doctor and I was thinking of like when I was listening to Angie I was thinking a few things but 
I was thinking about relationships and like beautiful relationships and how I'm thinking in terms of relationships, like romantic, friendship, business, whatever, when there are imperfections, when there are challenges, when you grow together and there's messiness, it's like realness. That's what I was hearing. It's like this realness in relationships. And then when relationships appear to be very perfect, it's usually not. And it's really ugly. And it's a lot of like manipulation or like, it's never, you know, you ever hear those relationships where it's like, everything is perfect. Everything was perfect. And then underneath it was just like a complete disaster. And, and so, and then I was also thinking because you do Japanese floral design, Angie, there's that, um, the Japanese have that philosophy where they um, like, um, put together like gold pot like potteries that are broken with gold right and I forget the name of it but it's it, it says so much about their culture in terms of like how they see beauty in terms of imperfection it's that it's that imperfection that makes it so beautiful yeah um, I think it's called Kintsuki mm, yeah yeah maybe we'll look it up <laughs> yes um yeah well I mean speaking of flowers people sometimes get very upset or very emotionally charged about this one particular feng shui conversation about dried flowers versus fresh flowers. And my answer is why would you want to get like fake dried flowers that never change when there's so much beauty in fresh flowers? And typically the answer is because oh, because they're cheaper, or um, I don't have to worry about keeping them up, or they'll last longer. But there's, like, when I come home from class, and I have, like, a bunch of flowers, people are, people might say, oh, you know, where, like, are you coming from a celebration? Is there something special happening? Um, and just even paying attention to the flowers and noticing that they're they're dying and they're expiring and taking care of them and it's just a special thing and and so I it, it always fascinates me that sometimes people just want like something fake and just put it there and never think about it again versus like really having something that's again like Paige said alive mm -hmm. right yeah. well and this makes me think of this concept of impermanence right because it's there's something that when it's alive and imperfect, a lot of times because it's alive, it's always, it's also fleeting. So earlier, you know, this conversation around flowers and, you know, you were mentioning like a fake flower that will be there forever versus one that's, you know, getting a little bit weathered, but still there is this interaction with the weathered one that you're not going to get from the fake one. So that, that fleeting beauty, that impermanence also informs how we feel and think about beauty. Um, do you feel like I got that right? And do you have anything more to say about that as well? Yeah, I feel like that's very true. And I, you know, I'm a Buddhist practitioner as well. And so that's one of the main teachings is on impermanence. And when I study flowers and flower arranging, and I also study flower arranging in my, with my Buddhist teachers, that's one of the biggest teachings is that, so I go to a, I go to an Ikebana class, a Japanese flower arranging class, and you put the flowers, you know, you arrange the flowers, but then you take them apart 
and you go home. No and way. Yes, but so, you so it, hold up. So the actual practice is just doing it and then it's not like you give it to somebody or take it home. You like undo it as well. Yes. So it's so actually it's, it's so I'm so accustomed to it now. Yeah. But um I know if I do a demonstration, people are like, oh, I can't believe she just put that all together and it's so beautiful and she's gonna take it apart. But I have actually no attachment to it, which is interesting. I mean, I, I will sometimes I'm human. I'll, maybe I'll be like, oh, this turned out so beautiful. I'm sad that I have to put it away. But, um, but that's the practice. It's like, okay, I receive some flowers and then you look at each flower and, and, you know, um, ha even with um, the flowers, you don't want to have all, every flower isn't going to be perfect. You don't want to have like, all perfect flowers that are blooming you want to see different um materials in different stages like a bud mm -hmm. which represents new new beginnings or something starting and then a, a bloom that's more open and then also you might want to put something that's dying or not dying but like um a not so beautiful um branch in the back because my teacher, my Japanese teacher would say like, even with sweet sweets, Japanese sweets, you always put a little salt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> oh my gosh. So, oh, so many, so many questions, so many thoughts. <laughs> my monkey brain is going crazy. Um, <clears throat> what I love about this is that like this idea of, oh, so I was thinking about the dried flowers because you were saying, you know, it, these reasons why people keep dry flowers. But I also think sometimes people keep dry flowers because they're holding on to attachment, that moment of when they receive that flower or whom they received it from and holding on to that. And it's so funny you mentioned this because because I've been eating these um, really delicious French yogurt that I've been posting on Instagram and they come in these beautiful periwinkle ceramic jars. But I'm like, what do I do with these? And so many people said, put dry flowers. And I was like, oh, no. I, but that's just my own, like, I don't really like dry flowers because um, it reminds me of death. And so, but then I was thinking like, but there are times when I've kept flowers, like, and I've kept them dried. And those were the times when I wanted to, I wanted to keep that memory. And, and sometimes it's hard for me to let go of things. And I remember when I would toss them, it would be like this, it would, I would have to get through this, like, feeling of like okay I'm gonna let this go now but then that also reminds me of just how people become so attached to beauty like we were talking about gray hairs in the beginning of this episode and this attachment to youth and like who we were back then right wow. <laughs> I know on my mind is going like so deep with everything because it's that practice of non-attachment but in a really healthy way where you're not like disassociating from this experience but you're understanding you put something into it. And like you were saying, Angie, you admire it and you're present with it and you, you know, take something from that moment, but then just as easily as you assembled it, you also with the same, I'm guessing with the same presence and love and care and intention, you're then disassembling it. And that exercise, of course, you can relate to all aspects of your life. Do you think that helped? Do you think that's like your practice of Ikebana has helped you with aging? Or were you always okay with like this concept of aging? Hmm. 
Well, wait, well, with what Paige said is yes, like you do, you do disassemble it with the same, not, I mean, with, with as much care, but I mean, it's not exactly the same amount of care. And then you um, also can dispose of the flowers when it's done and you don't want to like, just let it accumulate, you know, disgusting water and like dead things you want, you want to keep it up and then you let you let the expired material go in a mindful way as well. But um, so has, has my flower practice given me a different insight on aging? Um, I'm not sure in, in a very obvious way it has, because again, I met with my flower teacher yesterday and she's now in her late seventies. And she was telling me how she has arthritis now and she can't walk as much. And then it reminded me of um, like, we went, we were in Greece together and we, and we went to the Acropolis and I was like walking really fast and she couldn't walk that fast. And I was like, I was a little bit irritated, but I'm like, okay, she's 70. Like, why am I, why do I need to walk so fast? Um, but then, you know, in the pandemic, I started running. And then of course I immediately injured, injured my knee and then I could barely walk too. So you know, just coming around to like my eyesight getting worse and now I'm in my mid forties and um, I don't know if I have a better grasp of aging because I'm still pretty young, but I am aging. I, and I guess, cause we're Asian, we can be in denial longer about it <laughs> before we turn into like a how many, but um, I don't know. I hope it will help me. Are you scared of aging? I don't know that I am, but I don't think about it that much. Mm. So maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys scared of aging? Or how do, how do you feel about aging? Lately, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think it's because uh, for the longest time, I never thought I would get old. Like I just always assumed that I would die young. And then when I surpassed that age that I thought I was going to die, I was just confused for a few years. Like, I was like, what am I still doing here? Like, I don't know what to do. Cause, and I lived my life as if I was gonna die, like in my early thirties or late twenties. And uh, it's amazing, I'm, <laughs> I haven't been dead <laughs> or cause I did a lot of dumb shit, but really fun stuff too. <laughs> um, and then now that I've hit my forties, like I am now thinking of aging because now once I, once I got over the shock that I'm still alive and that this is going to happen, like, and I realized like, oh, I think I'm going to live a long time. And so then when you think about living a long time, I'm not afraid of death necessarily, but I am afraid of dying. And then when I think about dying and aging, I'm not afraid of aging myself personally, but I think as I've gotten older, I've realized society doesn't see you a certain way or like you stop getting attention from people that you got when you were much younger and I know as I age that's going to happen more and more frequently and so it's it's a it's an adjustment and so I think maybe it's my fear of not being seen anymore in society or from people or people seeing who I really am like like, I'm not this old person, like, I'm actually a human being, and I'm fun, and I'm nice, and like, <laughs> um, instead of just being like, oh, here's this old person, and I see that how other people act when they see older people on the street, and I see that interaction, and I think that is something that I'm struggling with, 
Yeah, that's really interesting, Tamsin. I'm so glad that you're still alive. <laughs> so we can have this podcast. For So for me personally, I mean, I'm half Caucasian and my parents are the same age, but my mom's Chinese, my dad's white. And so they, now that they're in their sixties, my dad looks so much older than my mom, even though they're the same age. Um, it like, he looks so much older. And so I, at first, like on a really superficial level, I was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of bummed that I'm half white because it's like, I always have to fight that to feel to, um, cause in Hawaii, it's predominantly Asian population. So I feel like at some point I'm going to start looking older than my Asian counterpart peer, pure Asian counterpart peers. Um, like how I saw my parents relationship develop with who's looking older. So that part of me feels like I need to work a little harder. But then when I let that go, the superficial layer go, I do feel like for me, aging has been freeing because I don't have the same type of expectations that I guess I put on myself, but I, I know was influenced by society and our culture of needing to have a certain persona or just a certain way or be like enticing or exciting. Like those are all things that I'm becoming a mother too. That was another step that I was able to let some of that go. But even now, as I, you know, get closer to my forties, I'm feeling more freedom around the, what's expected of me. And then I feel like I'm being more valued for the knowledge and wisdom that I hold and possess instead of what I look like and what that, what types of freedoms that gave that was not as fulfilling, um, as how, what I'm experiencing now with having more agency and authority when I'm in a room or in the clinic or like in a setting where I need to have a stronger voice. I can just step into that more easily and not be self-conscious of, I don't know how I might look or appear if people aren't going to take me seriously because I look too young. So that's how I feel about it right now. I wonder if it's because you're in Hawaii and it is predominantly Asian Asians there. Like Angie, you're based in New York. I'm in Seattle. Well, we're both Korean. And so in Korean culture, there's like a grandma and like an older woman culture within Korean culture, like the harmony and the ajumas. And they, they're so fierce. They wear fierce pants and they got their hair all permed up and oh, like, God. they don't give a, <laughs> but then I, but we're Americans. And so we live in, you know, we live in the States and it, there is less respect for elders. And I feel like elders are often like pushed to the side. I actually feel more like what Paige said because because I I guess because maybe what I do for a living being an being in architecture for many years and also practicing feng shui they're both professions that are more revered if you're older you have more experience it's it's a given that it's experience based for the most part and also being an architect, I was in a very male dominated field for many years where I looked younger. And so I always welcomed grays or looking older because people just assumed I was much younger and inexperienced than I was. 
So, um, so I actually don't mind that. And I guess I don't, well, and also I haven't gotten any wrinkles yet. So, so I'm okay, but I think I'm gonna probably cry when I really get wrinkles. <laughs> you can go see Paige about that. Well, isn't it like, there's a joke like that just one day like we'll wake up and we'll be old honeys with like perms and well, suddenly like we're like really yeah an owl <laughs> that's my fear it's like it's not like the process is like once you'll just wake up and you're like oh my god like I wasn't ready for this and I don't know how I'm dealing like hopefully by then I don't care but who knows like I think I would it would be easier if I lived in a culture that really re like revered older people I mean and like respected elders, like well, how it used to I, be. I am like, I think with what I, in the, in the professions that I have, there are many, many people. I have like many, many, my teachers are all in their seventies. So I've always looked up to and admired um, older people that are elders to me. And of course being Asian, there's that mm -hmm. whole, um, like a filial Honor, piety. Yeah, the mm -hmm. filial piety and um, honoring people that are just simply for the fact that they're older than you. So I just have it like ingrained in me. So it doesn't matter. And and I don't really mind that people don't think I'm a young, pretty Asian girl anymore <laughs> because that made me really uncomfortable anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think too, Tamsin, you and I are in fields um our field really also reveres more senior <clears throat> practitioners and I know one of like the first questions I'll get with a new patient is they'll just say oh how many years have you been in the field oh interesting and yeah and then when I let them know they're kind of surprised like they're like oh wow that's I think too and the way that our medicine has you know a lot of times it's like ancientized and stuff people imagine these like really old men that are have these superpowers and just like stick needles in you and don't talk to you. And then when we have like people like you and I who are just younger and more contemporary um, that show up in these spaces, I think sometimes people are like, oh, and I feel like maybe Angie too, it's something similar. That's, that's what you were describing. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. All right. When you and Angie were talking about it, it's like you, you both talk about work. So it's like there's this attachment to work or you're identifying with work. But once what happens when you get older and you're no longer able to work, then you do you think that would you still have the same view on things? Well, my flower teacher would say, like, well, they 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 keep teaching until they die, basically. Yeah. And um, even in Ikinobo, which is the school that I study in, there's one diploma like one diploma or certificate that you can only get like once you hit a certain age oh and um she so marcia my teacher would joke about her teacher that would like she like i don't know like sat on a skateboard or something with wheels and would like wheel around <laughs> going to do look at people's arrangements but um i think in feng shui even like my teachers now are still teaching yeah. And I still, um, we still work with them and we still highlight them. It's very lineage based. Like we, we always encourage our students to go talk to our teachers. And then if we have a question, we reference our teachers and 
we ask our teachers and we always make it very clear like this isn't anything I made up this is nothing that like my teachers made up and if you ever if we ever have a question and we're not clear about something I always go back to how did my teacher teach it mm-hmm. and how did their teacher teach them and or ask my teacher for clarification so I always like defer to the lineage and who taught me and what my teachers say which is I guess I'm a very good Asian person because that's what <laughs> you're taught right yeah wow yeah so let's go back though when you were young and um still Asian <laughs> <laughs> you were a goth an Asian goth and Wait, the can way I just I, input? Can I yes. just put in, y'all? If you Google Asian goth, right, Angie will show up on one of the top searches. And I only know this because I don't even know why I was thinking about being a goth or like Asian goth. But I just put it on Instagram. I'm like, man, I wish I could go back and be an Asian goth. <laughs> and then Andrew was like, well, <laughs> yeah, Paige, you could go ahead. I just needed to put that, that people needed to Google, like, this is for real, real. <laughs> yeah, I Googled it. I was like, let me see. I was scrolling yeah. down and Tamsin's like, no, you don't have to scroll down. She's going <laughs> to pop up, like scroll up. So I scroll up and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Angie. Oh, really? No, I thought I went down. I used to be the first one when you Googled Asian goth girl, but now I've gotten gone down on the. Yeah, I think you're like on the Mm. second or third. You're still up there though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So being goth, it's definitely an expression. I don't know if when you were goth, whether or not you saw it as an expression of beauty, it seems like an expression of the self. And there's obviously culture, right? So I'm curious, Angie, like how that informed you during that time of your life about beauty and expression and whether you're still pulling from that period and that experience and, um, you know, integrating it into the way that you see beauty in the world and in yourself. Um, So I was reflecting upon that. And I think some of the most obvious things that come up was I went to school like you know grade school high school I went to the same school from kindergarten kindergarten to 12th grade and it was a small private Christian school in Los Angeles and I was one of like it was like a class of 121 like my graduating class was 121 people and I was like one of two Asian people and you know maybe only five of us were people of color wow so um I think that because I was around like what I perceived as like blondes were beautiful and Caucasians were more beautiful. And that's what I kind of grew up with feeling very different. I think maybe by the time I got to high school, I really wanted to embrace being different and having dark hair and, and what, for whatever reason, I. And being in California, which is just like, (laughs) it's like sun. (laughs) It's not like Detroit or Philly where you were like growing up in the city. It's like, LA. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I always, I never even realized that Asians were considered beautiful until I went to college. I just thought that wow. like, Asians were really not good looking and only blondes were good looking. And so um, I think maybe there is this part of me that connected to, well, I'm going to be different. I'm different. So I'm going to be different anyway. And then I resonated with I fell into like a group of people that listened to alternative music and 
And then we started like hanging out at the Sunset Strip. And I got into these like local bands that were somewhat in between goth slash glam rock. They're, they're, Ooh, LA cool. had like an interesting scene. Wait, so were these goth kids, were they also kids of color or white or mixed? They're all white. <laughs> yeah. But I would okay. go actually with my, some of my Korean girlfriends from, from, um, from church. church. <laughs> I had two Korean girlfriends from church that we didn't fit in very well. And we would sneak out and go to the Sunset Strip. And we, um, yeah, and I, and, um, and it was interesting because it was like a mix between goth and glam. Like, I remember I had a crush on this guy who was, had like green, long green hair. And then like he, but he wore white face because they wore, they all wore white face, but had like colored, different colored hair. And some of them were more goth than others. And he had like a lip ring and an eyebrow ring mm -hmm. and he shaved off one eyebrow when we drawn. Oh my star. God, so awesome. <laughs> yeah, he drew in stars. And like, I was like, and I would just go and we would go and hang out at the rehearsal space. And we were like three weird, like Korean, like eight Korean girls just like hanging out with them. Like, I don't know, we were like groupies and we, would, and then we would get, we got more into goth stuff, so. Did the goth scene accept you guys in the way that the other kids in your school didn't? Like, do they see you like, oh, you're different too because you're goth, Let a, instead of like, you're different because you're Asian? Well, I, well, I was more in that glam rock thing mm -hmm. in, when I was in high school, but when I went to college in San Francisco, I did go to goth clubs and, and yeah, there was, um, there was a few, it was one of those things. I always end up in these kind of like situations, I guess, where it's mostly white with, and then Asians are the next, you know, <laughs> like there's like 10% Asian and then that's basically it. That's what I would kind of end up with in these cultural groups. Like, you know, like Shambhala is kind of like that too. Um, and they did accept us, it was fine, but, um, but it, there wasn't anything like, Asian about it it was just I don't know it was just being goth I don't know they're they're a little weird but I was mm -hmm. into it <laughs> yeah it's cool though because it evened out the playing field like you didn't have it didn't matter what you were but you were all together goth yes it didn't matter and but I would say it was mostly like Caucasian but by the time I moved to San Francisco and went to college that's when I realized like oh people like Asian girls or Asians are considered pretty, you know? And so then I think all the Asian goth girls were considered very pretty or yeah. beautiful. That's what was considered beautiful. They were considered very beautiful. There were more Asian goths and were the Asian guy goths? In terms of there was stuff? a few, there was a few. And were they considered hot? That's a no. <laughs> long pause because then I wonder if it's because like the Asian women just fetish fetish sized and that's what I was that's where my mind went well some well it depends it de I think it depended on what your type was so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but oh but the interesting thing so when I was when you were asking asking me about the goth thing and my uh about beauty and being goth or um, and also I reflected upon being involved with like that glam rock kind of community in 
on the Sunset Strip that it was so normal. And I totally forgot about this until you asked this question, but it was totally normal for men to wear so much makeup, like, but not just white face goth makeup, but also like, if you think about Poison's first album, mm-hmm. um, I forgot what it's called, but they're wearing like very um, glamorous female, ma- like, you know, femme makeup. And it was totally normal. And I was like, oh, Brett Michaels is so hot. Or, but I really nail like polish and huh nail polish yes, and like their clothes were all skin tight and but they were also very masculine totally right I mean the K-pop scene is like that like it's the newer version of that like the K-pop men the BTS group they you know when they first came on it was just like oh these guys look like girls and now mm-hmm. it's like there's all these like makeup brands and moisturizers for, right um, it's it's gender fluid and it's so normalized for them to be wearing eyeliner and powder and all that stuff. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing was back then it wasn't like gender fluid. It was, I don't, I don't know if it was because they were Just very, like, they were like very, they were guys, they were dudes that like, yeah. they were, I mean, they were very masculine, but wore makeup. You're right. right. And they even, and like, if you think about like Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson, they like, they love like the super busty blonde ladies, like, like Mm -hmm. stars and stuff. So they're like, it was like not, there was no gender fluidity, but they wore all this makeup. So it was very interesting. I'm reading this really good book on the history of makeup. Well, it's like my second book um, from another author. And they go through, I mean, but you think about it, like makeup on men existed like, from the beginning of time <laughs> like in different cultures traditional cultures men and women wore makeup and and then like even Europe renaissance like they wore powder they wore wigs it's only like recently we've had this idea of like men can't wear makeup and mm. or, or that it's this gender fluid like yeah yeah, I, and I think um, the only thing that's really kind of stuck with me or stuck with me for a long time from that goth phase is I almost always wear black. Uh, I don't wear very much. Hey, notice that. <laughs> I usually only wear black. Sometimes I'll wear cream. I only wear neutrals. Like um, I did a collaboration with California Closets and they, um, I took a picture of my closet and they're like, oh, we love how you styled the neutrals. <laughs> I was like, that's just my closet. Um, and, mm-hmm. and for many, many years, I would not leave the house without wearing like lots of like, or wearing lots of black eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and like to the point where like my family would always make fun of me that I had raccoon eyes. But, <laughs> but in the, since the pandemic, I was like, I'm not really wearing makeup at all anymore. It's which is funny because we're mostly on screen and people are looking at your, at your face, but I just, maybe, I guess, cause we're wearing masks too, but I never wore like foundation or anything like that. I only just wore like black eyeliner. Mm-hmm. So that's stuck around black. Just wearing that's black. what Paige noticed. Cause I was like, Paige, can you believe Angie used to be a goth? And she's like, yeah, I can. I still see it. She wears them black. Yeah. They'll see it. Cause they're, they, they like, oh yeah, you wear black all the time but I just assume that's like a New York thing like I think in New York my whole closet was black and people were like you wear a lot of black I'm like listen there's different shades of black here <laughs> it's all, yeah it's also a New York thing but I I just I don't feel comfortable wearing co- colors at all 
Yeah. So that's really stuck around. Wow. I love this. (laughs) Um, So we're, uh, we're, we're just a few minutes before we have to end this. And so I love this, Angie, you said, you're not sure about like how you define beauty, but you talked a lot about impermanence and maybe that is how you define it. And so Paige and I, we started this podcast because we have this idea that beauty is a birthright for everyone, that everyone should feel and everyone is beautiful. So then if beauty is a birthright, then because we come from Chinese medicine, everything is about immortality and legacy, like what legacy you leave behind. And we sort of talked about that today with your teachers and lineage practices. And so I know this is a big question, but like what beauty legacy do you want to leave behind? Hmm. I, I create a lot of beauty actually in many ways. Like I work with people in their homes to create beautiful homes and, and that always changes, right? Because I create, I co-create with each client that I have a home that's beautiful to them, which might not be beautiful to anyone else. And I think that, you know, I love creating art. And so I um, love studying like sacred geometry and create and doing sacred geometry art. And I uh, study flower arranging and tea ceremony, all of these different arts. And I make ceramics. I, I do way too many things, but I do lots <laughs> of art. I love art. And so it's really about like creating beauty in the world. How do you bring beauty, not just in that moment, uh, or sorry, sorry, not just like in a, like an object that you create, but in that moment too. And, um, and just find and tying in with impermanence is understanding that everything is really, every moment is precious. And there's a lot of beauty in that too. So I think each person, they, can be beautiful and they have the potential to embody beauty and like you said as it's their birthright I think that almost everyone can agree that you might meet someone who's not traditionally beautiful but it's really their chi or their energy that defines a beauty because there could be someone that's maybe perfectly beautiful in a lot of ways but they don't have that chi that energy so they can be very ugly. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's a I tough mean, question. It's a it's a tough question. That's why we that's why we wanted to make this podcast and ask other people because we don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think too. I mean, you do have tangible things that will be handed down. That is going to be part of your legacy, like your book. That when we moved back home to Hawaii, we used it to when we moved our, all of our stuff back in and got new furnishings, we used your book oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. and just kind of broke it down per area, like how you organize it in your book. And so I always feel like that's something that's an obvious legacy, but it's still maybe not completely encompassing what you want to achieve. And I love though, how you're talking about helping people see the beauty, understanding the relationship they have with it, seeing that it's impermanent, and then also admiring that and having this kind of loving detachment with it at the same time. So all of those things are really 
cool and something that I think we can all learn from. And certainly I hope our listeners can as well. So Angie, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything, I mean, obviously we could talk to you for so long because you're such a wealth of information, but was there any imparting thing you wanted to add that we didn't get to uh, let you speak on? No, but I think that this is a great conversation because I, I think it's so complex and that beauty is really something that everyone can benefit from exploring, having curiosity about, especially now. And, um, and the, even that, that process is beautiful, like having that curiosity. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Angie, and we hope you have a good class. I know you're super busy. We appreciate your time. Certainly learned a lot and we will be in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Angie. Well, that's it for today. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at beautyasabirthright and say hello. If you're interested in learning more about Taoist face reading, head over to elementalarchetypes.com and follow Dr. Tamsin on Instagram at elementalarchetypes. If you like to explore beauty through your own hands, you can visit youngface.com. You may also explore Paige's Instagram at yang.face for tutorials, Chinese medicine theory, and candid thoughts on cultural appreciation.